It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I'm joined now by Professor Samuel McConkey, who's going to speak to me about the, this, the COVID surge that we're experiencing at the minute and why we're going through that. Good morning, Professor McConkey. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and thank you for joining us. Now, um, we are hearing all the time now about a rise in, in COVID numbers here in Ireland and in, in Cork as well. Um, why is that? I mean, like, you know, we thought that once we were all vaccinated that that would be the silver bullet and we have one of the highest vaccination rates here in, in Europe, but you, we still seem to have these rising case numbers. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, so in Ireland, um, for the whole population, uh, about 76% of the 5 million of us who live here have had the vaccine. And that's obviously a lot of people under 12 uh, have not been, the vaccine's not licensed in under 12. So mm. uh, younger children under 12 obviously haven't been vaccinated. So there there have been a lot of infections over the last four or five weeks in, in younger children uh, in you know they're out living their lives and and doing things, and then that has spread now into middle-aged people and older people, and uh, it's, so it's a combination of uh, our vaccine rates. The, the, the poster child at present, the, the ones I would point to, countries of a source of hope is Portugal and Spain. There, Portugal has much higher vaccination rates than us, and Spain also is higher than us, and they've also kept a combination of some sensible social distancing. Mm-hmm. So they're asking people to. Uh, stay spaced out in restaurants and bars and pubs and I think unfortunately they're following the advice of the government just better than ours. Now, now Portugal and Spain were both hit very very badly worse than us back last year so the people have been through the mill if you like and have very very high death rates much higher than ours last year but now they're, they're, they're really complying uh, with the ongoing social distancing. So unfortunately, Ireland, I think we've been a little bit listening maybe to the British where it's sort of mm. opened everything up back to 2019. That's the wrong message. This is not a time we can just go back to 2019, 2018 levels of socialising. We've still got ongoing need for masks wearing in public places, for some uh, distancing from restaurant tables, one from another, distancing at concerts, distancing at, at theatres, at cinemas. So it, we're, the, the coronavirus is still here. And unfortunately, that message has, has kind of got a bit lost, especially going into winter, I'm very worried, because it's going to be cold, it's going to be mm. wet. We're going to try and congregate indoors and crowding indoors, as we all know at this stage, is very good for transmission of COVID-19. So do you think it's the wrong approach that we've adopted here? And, you know, we have lifted many of the restrictions um, and we saw, you know, over the weekend, a lot of nightclubs and venues packed out with people. And, you know, obviously they were out dancing and they weren't social distancing 
distancing because that's what we were told we were allowed to do. Is that the wrong approach, do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't. I supported the opening of nightclubs in a in a in a cautious and regulated way, and I understand there's a working group with the nightclub owners and and the government to try and find ways of, you know, enjoying ourselves in at night that that is that is COVID safe. We we haven't quite reached that as a population. The 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 combination of uh, distancing and and vaccination that's needed. I I I know there's maybe seventy eighty percent of restaurants and nightclubs and bars are checking a COVID cert but my mm. view is every single place should be and if it's not checking your COVID cert for an indoor venue we, we shouldn't be going in because lots of people are probably infected with COVID there and then once they're singing and dancing and shouting in close proximity you know it, it, it will spread so we have to reach this combination of high levels of vaccination and some ongoing uh control of social interactions or, or moderation of social interactions that allows us to reach a, a balance so COVID is not spreading. Because you're quite right, the last, since the 6th of October, the numbers have been going up here, numbers in ICU, numbers in hospitals, and, and sadly numbers of deaths. So so our balance is not right uh, at present, and, and we're going to have to re- reset that. I hope that with compliance and, and with uh, really strict adherence and people realising we, we actually have to continue to practice COVID safe measures. Like if we're sick, you know, don't be going to work, don't be going to socialise, stay at home, voluntary self-restrict. Even if your lateral flow test is negative, you still shouldn't go out with the snuttery nose and so on because you're spreading your viruses around, if you like. So it's, mm. it's better for sick people to stay at home. So I think I think we haven't quite uh, got there yet, but I'm, I'm I'm reasonably optimistically hopeful in the next sort of couple of months that we will get there. And I'm hoping some of the folk who are a bit late on the vaccine are now we're seeing a, a rise in people coming in for vaccines in the last few weeks as well. So I'm hoping we can get our vaccination rates up to that 82 percent, 85 percent where Spain and Portugal achieved. And how important are booster vaccinations so now? So they're definitely important and necessary. And uh, we know that the vaccine antibody levels weigh in and the power of it wins with time. It's more a question of exactly when are they needed? Is it after three months or six months or, or, or 12 months? And unfortunately, that answer varies from person to person. For some people who are older and maybe don't have a good immune system, they need earlier boosters. And for other people who are younger with a stronger immune system, uh, they, they, they possibly don't don't need it for, for a year or so. So there is a technical working group of called NIAC, National Immunization Advisory Committee, looking at the international data and Irish data and hopefully giving the government advice on that. But almost definitely we, we will all need boosters. Uh, with other coronaviruses like the common cold virus, which is also a coronavirus, after a year or two your immunity wanes and we all get the common cold again and again and again. And I don't think SARS-CoV-2 is going to be any different. Immunity, whether it's acquired from natural infection or from vaccination, will will definitely wane and we will benefit and need a, a booster dose. Um, Dr. Anne Moore, she's a vaccine specialist based here at UCC. She's calling this morning for a transmission blocking vaccine. Um, would you would you support that call? Yes. So what what we're finding now is that the vaccines that we all have been getting are very very good against preventing severe disease and death, mm. which of course is is great because we don't want severe disease and death. But they're less good at preventing infection and transmission. So the, the AstraZeneca and Pfizer vaccines that most of us have got are less good at preventing transmission. And that uh, transmission and infection, of course, means that we're still a risk to others. And, you know, many of us live with and, and enjoy the company of our, our loved ones who are often elderly and have multiple medical problems. And we want to be with them. We, you know, we want to hug them. Mm. We want to be in their house. And the vaccine 
especially at the early stage, did protect us. And, you know, we were allowed to go in and hug our loved ones if we're all vaccinated. But unfortunately, that that uh, protection uh, is lost three, six months and, and, and they don't prevent transmission near as well as preventing severe disease. So I, I agree with Anne. Anne, I you know, actually used to work in the same research group in Oxford, so I, I, I know her, but I, I think I completely agree. Uh, it, it's 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 not easy, but that, that would be great to have a transmission blocking vaccine. As another point of hope, we're seeing small molecules now, like sort of equivalent of aspirin or penicillin, that are just been announced that the companies have developed, uh, Pfizer have one and Merck have one, that they've just done a press release of, and they're sending the data to the FDA to get licensed, which inhibit the replication of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in our bodies. And this is like the drugs that have controlled HIV or controlled and cured hepatitis C. These are now coming on stream, small little chemical molecules that you could take if you were exposed to someone with uh, SARS-CoV-2 and that would prevent it replicating and prevent you getting sick with it. So that's a third really strong pillar and a sign of hope that I hope those will come in the next three to six months widely on the market as both a preventive tool and also a, a, a way of treating people who've got mild COVID to prevent them getting very sick. Professor Sam McConkie, you spoke there about the situation in Portugal and Spain. And I think here in Ireland, we look to uh, our neighbours in the UK and we see that life has returned more or less to normal over there, but they do still have high case numbers. But they're expecting that those case numbers will drop significantly by December. Do you think that that will actually happen over there? Um. No, my, my view is that the UK hasn't had a great experience over the last year and a half in their management of COVID-19. Mm. I think it's a particularly bad example. Not only that, the Houses of Parliament commissioned a, a cross-party review a few weeks ago and announced it, and they told themselves that they've done a really bad job on managing COVID. So so I, I, I really would encourage people not to look to England's uh, responses to COVID as, as the way out of this. Uh, they, they've, they've had a horrendous time for, for many, many reasons, which I don't really want to get into. Mm. But I think it's better off looking for signs of hope. And what's happening in Spain and Portugal has been much, much more effective. Uh, they have some ongoing um, restrictions in terms of the number of people in restaurants, the number of people in bars, the number of people going out into venues like uh, concerts and live music. And, and th- th- that's a model that seems to be working for them. And if we were to replicate and copy the ongoing social restrictions in Spain that would work here. They have a huge tourist industry so they're open for tourists. We can go Mm. to Spain as you know and we can hang out there and eat but you can't eat in a crowded venue. It's table service sitting down and if you have symptoms you have to stay at home so they have found a, 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 a you know, a, a collection of socially acceptable, tourist-friendly uh, physical distancing measures that are working for them with these very, very high rates of vaccination. It's it's controlling COVID well in Spain. So I, I personally think our public policymakers should be looking to Spain and Portugal for the models for advice. The other parts of Europe, just if we look around Europe generally, there's there's a terrible epidemic of COVID going on in Romania, Bulgaria, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia in the last three or four weeks. Mm. They've seen a massive surge in in deaths, about um, 20 deaths per million people per day. So that would be equivalent, you know, to 100 deaths a day in Ireland. We, we, you know, we're, thankfully, we're, we're not anywhere near there. So so they're, they're having a huge surge. And of course, as you know, we bought a lot of vaccines from Romania a few months ago because the Romanians didn't want them and, and they sold them to us. And th- so there's very low vaccination rates in Bulgaria. They're having a terrible surge. And I think there's a lot of kind of scepticism. Does this really exist? Is this a big deal? Maybe distrust of healthcare and governments from a legacy from the authoritarian era of Ceausescu and, and, and the Soviet era. The reason there's 
maybe speculation, but they're definitely having a huge COVID surge. And there are many Romanians and, and Latvians working and living in Ireland whose parents and family and siblings mm. are going through this. And they're asking for our help. They're saying we need oxygen. We would like doctors. We need ventilators. We're really, really struggling. Our health service is in crisis, you know, as it was in northern Italy uh, last year, as it was in New York last year, and as it was in India this year earlier. So our, our neighbours and friends in, in Eastern Europe are really having a torrid time. See, I think people here get really frustrated and they say, you know, they're giving out about our government and, you know, like nearly two years into the pandemic, we're still seeing the numbers on the rise. And But I think just speaking to you this morning, I'm getting a sense of hope that we, we will see an end to this if we just play our cards right now. Well, an end might be too definitive. I, I, I think we'll see a, a control and it will become something that's, it's called endemic. I know, sorry, it's a complex technical word. Mm. It means that the disease is present, a bit like the common cold that's here all the time. Un- unfortunately, this, while it's similar to the common cold and its transmission, it has a higher mortality. It makes people very sick, especially if they're elderly or have a lot of weight on them or have no immune system or dialysis or, you know, cancer patients on chemotherapy or, or transplant patients. So this is like a sort of a more severe deadly version of the common cold but we are we are going to have to find a balance and ways of living with it and i i think we're i'm looking around abroad for how that's been achieved and i would point with hope to spain and portugal and uh, they're having a, a good life they're going out and eating and drinking and having fun in a social life together and welcoming mm. tourists which is a big part of their industry and and yet they're they're not they're seeing a, a gradual slow decline day by day in the number of covid cases and the number of covid deaths so spain and portugal ha- have really pointed a good way forward for us but when you say end i fear then that your listeners will say well that means go back to 2018 2019 ways of living and i i just don't think that that is possible with our current versions of technology if Anne at Moore and others good vaccine scientists can come up with a transmission blocking vaccine that would be a complete game changer but it, we don't we don't have one in our hand right now we've got vaccines that prevent disease and death in 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 many people uh, uh, you know for maybe 6 months or a year but we we don't have a uh, even though the vaccines are good they're, they're not they're not seeing an end so i, I don't like the word end if you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but I, I think certainly in a controlled improvement and a balance if you like that we can actually have a have a good happy life that you know, we can live out the goals and aims that we would like as individuals mm. and as a community to do. I, I think that is possible. That that will come. Uh, I I'm certainly feel that our 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 leaders and or the opposition have never had to lead through anything like this before. This is a completely new experience for all of us as a nation, for all of us in the world, and and for a political leader. So it's it's certainly uh, not an easy job to lead through uh, this this type of crisis. And I think we have to be gracious and recognise the challenges. You know, if I was Minister of Health, I would really really struggle. This is a very very complex problem, and there's just so much work. You know, and it's mm-hmm. so tiring. And every week or two, the virus comes up with a new twist. There's there's something new coming out of about it. So it's it's not a predictable journey. It's it's a it's a it's a complex journey with lots of surprises on it. So being a leader in those times is really really challenging. So I I, I think we we have to give our leaders credit for being out there and stepping forward and willing to take these very very challenging roles at this time. So I, I respect and, and honour the leadership that we have got in this country at this time from both the opposition and and from the government party. So I'm I'm certainly uh, feel that centralised leadership is is so important to get us out of this that I, I think we have to respect and recognise how challenging it is and ask, you know, if, if, if any of us was Stephen Donnelly, you know, we would struggle with that job. Yeah. Professor Sam McConkey, Professor of Health and Tropical Medicine at RCSI, thank you so much for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. Courts 96 FM. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.